What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 27 of Locked On Tigers. I am your host, Chris Castellani. You know, I enjoy doing this podcast. I love talking about baseball. I love talking about the Tigers, as terrible as they are. I still enjoy doing it. I'm not looking forward to today's episode. Today, we're covering the 17th best game of the last decade, and it involves the Tigers. It is, kind of surprisingly, the only game on this list that features the Detroit Tigers, and to this day is the most heartbreaking baseball loss I've ever experienced as a sports fan. We are going back to October 13th, 2013, Game 2 of the American League Championship Series between the Red Sox and the Tigers. Now, I was very confident that the Tigers were going to win this series, and I was confident this team was going to win the World Series. I I really was. I I thought they had the best team. I thought they had a rotation that in a seven-game series was going to be close to impossible to beat. I was kind of proven wrong. Game one, the Tigers won 1-0, a very close game. Anibal Sanchez went six hitless innings in that ballgame, striking out 12, walked six, I believe. He was uh, what you would call effectively erratic. The Red Sox didn't get a hit in that ballgame until the ninth inning. Joaquin Benoit closed it down, so it was a a 1-0 series with a game two pitching matchup featuring Clay Buchholz, who had a very good year in 2013, but missed a lot of time with injury, you didn't know how healthy he was going up against the soon-to-be Cy Young winner, Max Scherzer. And on this night, Max was just next level. This was really maybe the best I'd seen Max Scherzer all year that year. In a year where he went 21-3, and won the Cy Young, led the league in whip, you know, led the league in wins, uh, en route to his first of three Cy Young awards and his only one in Detroit. He was spectacular. Both pitchers held serve in the first inning, the only base runner being a Shane Victorino hit by pitch. Max struck out two in the bottom of the first, and the Tigers would strike in the top of the second. A strikeout by Prince Fielder, but that was followed up by a double by Victor Martinez, a single by Johnny Peralta, then another single by Alex Avila scoring Victor Martinez, and it's one nothing Tigers, and with the way Max was rolling, you felt pretty good already. He strikes out two batters in the second, goes one, two, three. One thing I forgot, too, is that even Clay Buckholz got into a bit of a role here. You know, scoreless innings in, in the third, fourth, and fifth. It This was still anybody's game going into the sixth inning. And Torrey Hunter flew out to start the top of the sixth, but then you get a Miguel Cabrera home run. 2013 was the best version of Miguel Cabrera that we've ever seen. And I know in the last month he was hobbling a bit and was injured. And I know he won the Triple Crown in 2012. Miguel Cabrera's best season was 2013. That was like the summer of Miggy. It was a surprise when he wasn't getting hits. He was the most dominant hitter in baseball, or maybe the most dominant hitter I've ever seen, quite frankly, in in that time span. He was absolutely unreal. Puts the Tigers in front 2-0. Prince Fielder then doubles. That's followed up by an RBI double by Victor Martinez, who was sensational in the postseason that year. Johnny Peralta would line out on a hard hit ball to center, and then Alex Avila stayed hot, hitting a two-run home run. It's 5-0 Tigers in the top of the sixth. This thing, to a whole lot of people, felt over. 5-0 with Max Scherzer on the mound, even if you you only get two more innings out of Max. I mean, you got to be, they can hold a four-run lead. I mean, any any competent baseball team can hold a four-run lead. Even a bad bullpen can hold a four or five-run lead. Max gives up a run in the bottom of the sixth. I think got a little bit sloppy, you know, got two quick outs in the sixth, then gave up a single to Victorino and a double 
off of the Green Monster to Dustin Pedroia, scoring Victorino, making it 5-1. So, you know, the collar was tightening a little bit, but it was uh, okay. It's a four-run game. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, boy. You know, in all honesty, I haven't talked about this game in depth since it happened. So we're coming up on almost seven years. I, I've been yet to experience the the full trauma that was this game. Brandon Workman would get two outs in the seventh. In the seventh, Felix Dubrant would get the final out. Clay Buckholtz night was, was done after five and two-thirds struggled in that sixth inning. You get to the bottom of the seventh, Max, 14 pitches, goes one, two, three. He's had 108 pitches after seven. Seven innings, two hits, one run, two walks, 13 strikeouts for Max Scherzer, a season high. Now, this is where things get weird. Because Max Scherzer said after the game, and no one's really pressed him on it since, but he said after the game, he went up to Jim Leland and said, hey, Jimmy, I'm done. Take me out of the game. And Leland said the same thing in in the postgame presser as well. Max said he was done, so he went to the pen. And never really said if he would have stuck with him if Max said, I'm good to go. 108 pitches is a lot. Jim Leland liked to stick with his starting pitchers. And I don't blame him for it because the bullpen was awful and you tried to get as many innings as you could out of the, the absolute studs you had in this rotation with him and Sanchez and Verlander and Fister and even Porcello as their fifth starter. I, I don't have a ton of evidence to support this, but I will say it is surprising to me that Max Scherzer, who is the most bulldogish monster competitor that there is in baseball, just an absolute animal, after seven innings, would come off the mound after dominating uh, the team that led the American League, led all of baseball in wins that season, would come off the mound after seven and say, you know what, I'm done, take me out of a playoff game, especially with the way he was rolling. That seems very odd, and I think there's a there's a chance here he might have been covering for his manager. That's that's all I'm going to say. And I, I love Max, and I do still like Leland, but this seemed weird. So it's 5-1 to one going into the bottom of the eighth inning. Jose Veras coming on to pitch for the Tigers, and we're going to talk about the next couple innings here next. I'm going to compose myself, and we'll be right back. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Now, maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. A company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale in 2020. If you are looking to lose weight, willpower is key, but so is having the right tools. Withings smart scales are known for durability and an exceptional user-friendly design. Step on and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS and Android via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Lots of smart scales don't have the Wi-Fi option, and it means you need to have your phone on you. But Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, even a local weather report. The scale can support up to eight users and even know who is who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off a Withings Body Plus right now at Withings.com for a limited time. Go to Withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com backslash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S.com backslash MLB to get 25% off Body Plus Body Composition Scale. 
Okay, we're back. The first half, the first segment of the show was a little bit shorter than usual, and that's really because the last couple innings for this game, uh, there's a lot to cover here. So we're going to start off uh, in the bottom of the eighth when things started to unravel. Tigers six outs away from taking a 2-0 stranglehold on this series. Steven Drew would ground out to short with Jose Veras on the mound, so you're five outs away. Will Middlebrooks would then double to left. Then you bring in... Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley was probably, outside of Joaquin Benoit, who who took over the closer's role and for the most part was pretty solid in 2013, Drew Smiley was the Tigers' most effective relief pitcher that season. He was very, very good. He was versatile. And they brought him in to face Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, a lefty-lefty matchup. Smiley got ahead in the count 1-2 and threw three remarkably uncompetitive pitches. I mean, he bounced, I think, at least two of them, not even close to the zone, and the Red Sox got their first gift. I mean, Smiley, if he continues to pound the zone, even if he gives up a hit there, you know, it's not the the end of the world, but, you know, to have him, to have him in a stranglehold and to, to give him air, essentially, not ideal. Now, Shane Victorino comes up next. Al Albuquerque now in the game for the Tigers. And you could see Leland was scrambling. They used four pitchers in this inning. He was absolutely panicking. He felt the Red Sox breathing down his neck. And I think in fairness, he saw what could potentially be coming here. Al Albuquerque would would come into the game. He would strike out Shane Victorino. You know, he gets the out there. There's many different options here, right? You could have stuck with Scherzer. That's probably what I personally would have done. I would have wrote it out with Scherzer, have him on a short leash, one base runner, he's out of the game. He'd pitched phenomenal. They couldn't touch him all night. They couldn't touch the guy. But you instead instead decide to go with a bullpen that was an absolute dumpster fire. This Tigers team won 93 games this season. This was not a 93-win team. This was a 105-win baseball team with a 55-win bullpen, and it lost them a whole lot of games. Now, thus far in this series, you got six scoreless frames out of Anibal Sanchez in Game 1. You get seven sparkling innings out of Scherzer in Game 2. You couldn't have drawn it up any better. You could have stuck with Max. You could have stuck with Max in the bottom of the eighth inning. They didn't, and instead ended up using four pitchers to get three outs. Al Albuquerque comes in. He strikes out Shane Victorino, gives up a single to Dustin Pedroia, and that brought up David Ortiz. Bases loaded, two outs, the clutchest hitter, maybe in the history of the entire sport, is at the plate. He goes with his closer. He goes with Joaquin Benoit. Benoit had had a a very solid season for the Tigers in 2013, liked to make things interesting, but took over the closer role, and he was was pretty darn good, in fairness to him. Um, I, I, I don't blame him necessarily in this instance, after using three pitchers to get two outs, going with Benoit. There was another ace in the hole, or I I won't say ace in the hole, but Phil Coke had had a terrible year in 2013. The only reason Phil Coke was on the postseason roster, really, and I'm serious, the only reason he was there was to get David Ortiz out. David Ortiz, for whatever reason, had very bad numbers against Phil Coke. And Earlier in the season, Leland got, I won't say ripped, but questioned for bringing in Coke to face Ortiz in the late innings of a game in June against the Red Sox at Comerica. And he reiterated, look, I brought him in because he's got good numbers against Poppy. 
And Poppy ripped a double down the right field line against him. And, man, you know, you hate to pin it all in one at bat, and it's all revisionist history here, but you wonder if Poppy doesn't rip that double a few months before this game, maybe he brings Coke in. Now, I don't, look, I'm not going to rip him for that. Phil Coke was awful in 2013. Phil Coke had a plus five ERA. Not a guy you want to trust to get the biggest out of the season. You went with your best relief pitcher, so I don't necessarily blame him for that. First pitch to David Ortiz. Just listen. Bases loaded. Two out. Hard hit into right. Back at the wall. Tie game! Big puppy! The grand slam! Yeah, that happened. An iconic moment for the Red Sox, an iconic moment in postseason history. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not going to have sour grapes about the whole thing. It was an electric moment throughout baseball. You know, it took me years to watch this clip again. I always thought Benoit threw a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. I remember when I watched this live, that's what I thought it was. And I was completely wrong. It was an 86-mile-per-hour changeup. In fairness to him, not a terrible choice. You knew Poppy was going to be hunting for something. You knew he was coming up there trying to swing early in the count. And he was probably hunting fastball. So the idea of throwing a changeup to start him off, not a bad idea. It was a god-awful pitch. It, it was way, way up in the zone, and Poppy crushed it. Obviously, you had the, the moment with Torrey Hunter flipping over the wall. Look, an elite right fielder right, would, would definitely make a better route on that ball. If he makes that catch, it's absolutely the best catch in the history of the Detroit Tigers, probably one of the five to 10 best in the history of baseball. So I still, I can't get on Torrey Hunter for not making that play. Did he take a bad route to the ball? Yeah, I don't think he saw it well off the bat, but he still came pretty darn close. Um, I'm talking a lot about the play that tied this game. It wasn't over, but essentially it was. Uh, Tigers go one, two, three in the top of the ninth. And I did feel like as bad as things were, I felt like if you get to extra innings, you have Miggy, Prince, Victor Martinez do up the heart of the order. Koji Uehara has already pitched his one inning. He's probably out of this game. Maybe you got a shot, but you go with Rick Porcello in the ninth and the second he took the bump, I knew it was over. Rick Porcello doesn't have a clutch bone in his body. He's never been good in October ever. He had an all right start against the Yankees in 2018 when he was with the Red Sox. He wasn't good with the Tigers in the postseason. Comes out of the pen. Single to Johnny Gomes. He goes to second on an error by Jose Iglesias. Then a wild pitch to Jared Salter-Lamacchia. Moves Gomes to third. And then on a 3-1 count, this happened. Behind on the count, 3-1. That's a base hit. Red Sox win it. This series tied in a game apiece. So that did it. Red Sox even the series at one, like Joe Buck said. Tigers offense would go on vacation in game three, lose one nothing. They win game four. Sanchez would have kind of an underwhelming performance in game five. They'd lose that ball game. And then in game six, after Scherzer got taken out, Jose Veras gave up a grand slam to Shane Victorino and the series was over. Um, th- but that may have been the definitive end to this series. The series ended with this game. And a lot ended with this game. The only reason this thing isn't higher is because, for the most part, the games that are really high up on this list were entertaining from beginning to end and had iconic moments from beginning to end. This thing was a blow. This thing was a snooze fest through seven innings. But in terms of its historical relevance, 
there's not a ton on the list more relevant than this one. The Red Sox would go on to win the World Series, and this was the beginning of the end of what could have been the Detroit Tigers dynasty. Their best chance to win the World Series was 2013. I know they made it there in 2006 and lost. I know they made it there in 2012 and got embarrassed. This was the best Tigers team since 1984. You put this team in a seven-game series against the 1984 Tigers. Depending on how uh, the the Tigers' bullpen holds up, I would like their chances probably in that series as well. This was a loaded roster. This is one of the most talented baseball teams not to win a World Series. And they were going to win this game. They were going to sweep Boston. And I I have a hard time believing that in three different World Series, they were going to have a long layoff and then lay an egg in the Fall Classic. I think they would have beaten the Cardinals, won the World Series, and this would be a completely different organization. And this would be a completely different podcast if the Tigers win Game 2 of the ALCS that year and go on to win the World Series. They would have won that thing and gone down as one of the great rotations of all time up there with the 95 Braves. And it would have been uh, a glorious moment for Detroit. And this was the beginning of, of the end, is essentially. You know, they won the division the next year, but they weren't as good. And uh, they haven't won a playoff game since 2013. You know, the last time they won one was game four of the 2013 ALCS. So if this doesn't speak to how much this loss changed the trajectory of an entire organization... Uh, I don't know what does. A a crushing defeat and an incredible moment for Boston. That 2013 team was very special in the wake of the Boston Marathon bombing. They they win the World Series. It was an incredible moment, but as a Tigers fan, soul-crushing and still is. This one will always hurt the most until they, if, you know, they eventually win a World Series. This one still stings. So, uh, sorry if this was a depressing episode, but I think it was... uh, This was one of the few games that's on this list that I really have a very, very personal connection to. So I hope uh, I was willing to share that with you, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Now, you can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2014. You can follow the show on Twitter. That's at LockedOnTigers. I'll be doing mailbag segments eventually, so you can email them to the show's Gmail account as well, LockedOnTigers at gmail.com. And hey, while you're locked up in quarantine... Go on iTunes and leave a positive review on the Apple Podcast section. That would be much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. We got one more show this week, and then we're going to keep this list rolling for the next three weeks. So I appreciate all your support. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and go Tigers.